Today, our guest is Andrew P. from Calgary, Alberta, sharing his message in recovery. Welcome, everybody, to the UDR podcast. I'm Tom Forsyth here with Bill Ward. We're going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, and different experiences in recovery with people we know and people around the world. Thanks for having me on. I think this UDR cast is something special. Um, For me, the biggest uh, difficulty I had with getting sober was I didn't have a real solution that was actually going to work. You know, I was in and out of um, recovery rooms for about five years. Uh, But even before that, when I was younger and a teenager, I just... I had it, right? I had that physical malady, um, spiritual problem, as well as the mental problem. And it blocked me from being able to be comfortable, you know, just by, you know, with people. It blocked me from being comfortable with people, but get any substance in my body. And all of a sudden I felt like I could come out and play, you know, and it was a painful slog because for me, the, the pride was such a a block, you know, I had always been able to keep a job. So I used that as an excuse, um, you know, to keep me out of recovery for a long time because, Oh, I still had the money to, you know, I was still running things and I was still fairly successful from based on the, what the world sees success as. Um, but it wasn't, I was dead inside, man. Like I was, uh, I was broken and I could not, I couldn't get out, you know? And those five years of going in and out of recovery programs, I felt like I was getting just piecemeal, a part of the solution, right? I wasn't getting the real tangible things that allow me to, on every day, as a program of practice and actual action, to have the tools to just go and go through life, be a good person. So it was a journey and slog. I'm very thankful that I met you guys, right? You guys took me through solution-based recovery where you actually look at what are the causes um, that make it an absolute necessity for me to drink or for me to use drugs. And it's when I started really attacking those things and, and, and trying to get into a spiritual practice that was real that I started to feel okay. Mm. And now I'm a pretty happy guy. I'm, I'm very thankful and I don't even think about uh, substances, that's for sure. You guys know I have a bunch of defects of character <laughs> and more will be revealed there. But um, yeah, it's nice getting some no bullshit recovery and that's what I needed. And that was the reason I was still drunk for five years in and out of recovery rooms was because I wasn't getting that clear message. So how much time do you have in right now? Right around, what is it, about eight months or so? Yeah, I got eight months right now. So when you were coming in and doing the program, did you actually think that you were doing the program? And yeah? Yeah, at the time I did, right? Because I guess you look at the book 
and it's only as quality, like, you know, you're just getting sober, so you can't read anything good. Um, you don't even know what it's saying. It doesn't matter how smart you are. In fact, the smarter people usually lose the solution, right? <laughs> because they're too prideful. But so yeah, different sponsors are taking me through the book and um, I'm trying to do what's in front of me. But things started, it was banana peel trail once we started looking at defects of character and all of that because it almost seemed like there's a subculture in some rooms. Um, you know, I respect all people's way to try and get help, but there is a subculture within the rooms that just stay sober and defects of character don't matter. Well, for a real deal alcoholic, they certainly do matter. And that's what I've learned through this level of recovery is that is what should matter every single day because you start falling out of line with defects of character and I'm bound to drink, right? So So what kind of things were you doing prior that made you believe that you were actually working a program? And then what are the things now today that actually tell you and show you that you're working a program? Sure. Well, simple things, right? Um, When I thought I was in recovery, it was going to a lot of meetings. It was trying to be around my sponsor or sponsors more often. Um, But I wasn't revealing my true self, right? I wasn't practicing the honesty, the rigorous honesty this program requires to get healthy. So I was doing all the surface level things to show that I was a member of a recovery group. I was not allowing it to change me and my day-to-day to the level that I needed to stay well. Um, Now, when I look at what I do now, I would say having a tangible connection with my higher power that I call God and that needs to be morning and night, a non-negotiable. There's some times where it isn't, and I feel that. I feel the pain right away. Um, doing that, rigorous honesty with a sponsor, you know, the moment anything comes up um, in life, in business, in anything, I need to be present and pick up the phone, and I need to get an outside uh, opinion because I can't on my own power discern the will of God, right? It's usually my my ego or whatever, whatever it is that's talking to me and I'm acting on that. Um, you need to have pillars in your life. So doing that, pillars, um, trying to be of service, uh, practicing gratitude. Uh, these are some of the things that, yeah, they get me through the day and, and not just through the day, they get me well through the day. You know, I feel feel happy and content. So, um, yeah, I want to go into, um, you talk about a connection with a higher power mm. and, you know, I know you, um, some discussions that we had about you in, in, um, almost becoming a priest. A priest, yeah. Okay. So you were actually, um, <clears throat> going to become a priest. Yeah. So did that in- affect your recovery in any way? Um, what did that do when you came into AA? We talk a lot of God and, yeah. and how did that affect you? Uh, we're opening the big can of worms. We are, we are, <laughs> Bill knows this story well. Um, yeah, so I came from a very devout Catholic family. They're amazing people, just good-hearted. I have an amazing family, and uh, my addiction stole my family connection for a long time. Um, when I was younger, 18 or so, out of a need to prove myself, um, 
that I was any good or worth something and almost as an act of how else do I get rid of this guilt. Um, I started going through the processes to, to become a Catholic priest and I was in the seminary there for two years. Um, and now being healthy and in my right mind, I see the, the fruits and the good things that that experience brought me. But before I got the solution of recovery, I was so resentful at anything to do with the church or God. I just had wanted nothing to do with it. And I remember this time around when I met you guys and I, I met Bill, we were doing uh, some step five inventory work and Bill was really giving me the gears as far as how deep do these spiritual resentments go. And I remember I got chills. I was sitting on the couch and he point blank told me, if you're not able to come to your own conception, your own personal understanding of God in your life and leave everything you've known or thought you known at the door, you're never going to get this recovery, bro. You're going to be drunk in probably a couple weeks or in my case, a couple days. Like I could not function with this guilt that uh, there was some God out there that was not happy with me. Um, and there were a lot of cultural things that took precedence in my life of evaluating myself. And I remember driving home that night and thinking, he's right. And I don't know if I have the power to feel okay and think that this God of my own understanding is the only thing. And I need to get rid of everything else I knew culturally for a time. I was terrified at that. Um, but thanks, thankfully, I did take the steps I needed and I started praying and meditating to just a, a loving God, a loving father, an entity like that, that I envision in my mind and things started clicking. Things started getting exciting and I didn't have to, you know, I took a break from going to church and I took a break from wearing a mask around my family. And I said, this is the road, this is the path, I need to take it. And the amount of freedom, guys, from that was insane. It, it is probably the biggest amount of freedom I've ever received of thinking. Like this whole thing about God only works if you're tapped into it anyways. So I was here dragging all this baggage. And within that baggage were a lot of good things. But I was not actualizing any of it. There's no power actually being manifest in my life. So I had to leave those bags at the door and just start from you know, step one of, you know, acknowledging that there could be some powerful force out there that actually cares for my well-being and wants me to be a maximum service to others. And slowly that grew. I don't want to get too far ahead, but that has now grown to the point where I look at all people, you know, it says in the book, be quick to see where religious people are right, make use of what they offer. I can now look at them with uh, just a, a friendly or a brotherly love that they're on their journey and so am I. And you can see clear as day the people that embrace a culture, a spiritual culture, opposed to those who are actively living it in their lives. And it's night and day, right? Some people have the tools and some people have the tools and use them, right? So now I can look without resentment at my upbringing, my Catholic upbringing, um, and then also different paths of life without this inferiority complex that are they right or wrong and do they need my opinion or not well actually all i'm all i'm put on this earth to do is to be a maximum service and to um 
you know, put some love in the world and God's going to sort out who and what he is in his own time. And he doesn't have to inform me about that, (laughs) you know? So Andrew, I remember the day that you called and I had known you for a while before you called me. We had had some chats and, you know, you had mentioned earlier in your, your talk here today about the no bullshit approach. And uh, I had given you a no bullshit approach as I would see you here and see you there. And I'd ask you, how's your program? And, and I was kind of, you know, pretty heavy and pretty harsh on you. And uh, you would leave and not say much. And then I'd see you again and kind of go the same way. Um, you ended up getting a sponsor and you did some work and your sponsor relapsed and you were left hanging. Um, and, and I know, I know the person who ended up relapsing and, uh, you know, a lot of the big problem that I see is people is, are not willing to work on the defective character, mm-hmm. um, let alone somebody actually calling the sponsee out on the real truth of their defective character. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of blowing smoke up your ass because we're worried about hurting people's feelings. And to me, like I said to you, when we started working, I care more about your life than your feelings. And, And I see people die so often in recovery because they don't actually get the solution and they're not, they're not guided properly. And I'm not here to judge on who's guiding who and how if they're doing it properly. But my goal is to try to help guys actually seek a solution. And the solution is God, you know, um, my God is my grandmother who passed away. That, that is the nucleus of my God. And from there it's manifested and grown. So that day that you called me, I heard the desperation in your voice and you were sheepish and you were humbled. And, uh, and I had it in my heart, like this guy really, really wants to do something. And you did. And I remember doing your step five and we had revealed this, this religious block that you had. And I often talk about judgments. We think about judgments in this program, and we usually focus only on the judgments that we think are bad for us. Mm-hmm. And we're ready to relinquish those things because, yeah, it makes sense intellectually. But what I've noticed about alcoholics and people in general is it's not only the judgments that you think are bad for you that need to be relinquished and that block God at the end of the day. This was a judgment that you thought was positive for you, that you weren't really willing to give up. And I could see that you needed to, to be rid of this. And, and I'm not God and I don't know everything, but I did give a shit more about your life. And I just told you the truth. And, and a part of that discussion as we sat on the couches at my house was you've never really listened to your own truth. You've always believed in somebody else's truth. And you've lived your life for the for the ideas and beliefs of other people and in what how you want to be perceived. Yeah. And I know that Tommy can relate to this as well. So I just want you to maybe if you can elaborate on, you know, the belief systems and that or the masks that you wore to try to 
look good in the eyes of other people and maybe how you jump those hurdles through the first, you know, four or six months of your recovery. You got anything? Yeah. Well, I'll first start that the religious block was totally a self-imposed block. I now see that those who tried to teach me any sort of spiritual tools were doing it out of a real desire for me to be connected. But I did not perceive it that way <laughs> at all. I grow, grew very, I'm the oldest of nine kids. And from a young age, I had interpreted a disproportionate amount of love that I thought I should receive from my actions and how I was perceived, not necessarily my truth and how I feel. And, you know, you can't pass blame on anyone else either than yourself. And the truth is, it was me. It was my demented thinking um, that was ruining that because I was surrounded by, I had everything I could possibly want, an amazing family, opportunities to succeed, to learn things. And I was so driven though by fear of how do people perceive me in all walks of life. I remember I was, you know, like did a lot of public speaking when I was in high school and then journeyed out into, uh, you know, over to Italy and started working there. And it was always a consecutive kind of building up of how do people perceive me and not ever being able to be honest and have a real conversation with anyone. Uh, that was the actual root of this spiritual block, this religious block. Um, that was actually what was, what was under it. And it really tore me up because I became so effective in a worldly sense at talking with authority, um, talking to authority figures, you know, and really judging their sense of character and how they were, you know, hearing my every single word and blending a version of myself into existence for that conversation just to change it another place. And then to go get drunk and loaded another place because I couldn't tolerate that. I was, I had no freaking idea of who I was. I had spent my entire life trying to be a version that someone else would think is good so that they feel okay. And that's not enough for me to live. I cannot go through the world trying to manage everyone's happiness around me with a fake version of myself. And, and what I realize now is I wasn't, you know, pulling anyone's wool over the eyes. Like I, they, they knew as well, you know, it's just this smiley person that nods and says, yeah, to everything. <laughs> I'm still kind of like that, but anyways, we'll work on that slowly. But it was the inability to be honest and to actually think that a power beyond myself, a spiritual solution would actually give a damn enough that the truth that's revealed within my spirit is actually acceptable in the world. And I'm actually contributing something there. And that's when spirituality gets actualized. So those first four months of recovery were painful, man. It was a slog of like from conversations with you as a sponsor and you Tommy as a pillar of actually being honest and regardless of what my feelings were this is what's happening in my life I need help what do I do about this because I didn't have a choice anymore I was on death's door no one would know right except no one would know 
I would not tell people anything. I'd go to the hospital after getting loaded and then just drive myself back. But allowing you guys in and, and, and having that honesty was crucial. But then all the way down to business, you know, actually getting a fair shake in life and being able to talk to clients and be honest that, no, this is not a $200 project. This is a $2,000 project. And if we're not the right fit with you, I, I'm sorry. I'm here to be a maximum service, but also be fair. Um, to conversations with my family. Hey, I'm on this spiritual journey and this is the path I'm taking. I just wanted to be honest to you guys. And being so petrified and scared inside and being so fearful of what they were going to say, just to have them sitting in a kitchen room table say, thank you for the honesty, Andrew. We wish you well. <laughs> Imagine that, just shocking. I had no freaking idea that an honest life of being who you are is going to create some people that, hey, it's not their stick. And that's okay. And it's going to create far more people that are like, hey, this is an honest man or man who's at least trying to live in honesty. And I just saw the weight lift, man. Like it, And this is why the program is so real. It is not just this step-based thing that you read and you ponder it a little bit and in between a couple Netflix shows, hammer down a couple names of people that pissed you off and go deal with that and say, Hey, do you have a higher power? Yeah. Do you pray? No, I never pray. Do you meditate? No, I never meditate. Like it's just not that it is a life of rigorous honesty being given from that inner power that you have, which is God. Right. And now starting to do that and that practice of honesty, I was slowly freed from the real things, which blocked me. And now there's no need for the substance. We're on to better things. It is, uh, I don't feel like there's been so many versions of Andrew demonstrated in a day that I have no choice but to drink. Mm. You know, I just could not keep that chaos at bay. You know, okay, spent eight hours with the client working my ass off. They see this version of me. Talk to the folks. They see this version of me. Inside is a totally fearful, inferior man or child that doesn't have a choice, needs to get loaded, right? I now have been given that, that peace of mind where I, I want to be plugged in to this, the present. Right now, I'm here with you guys. We're having a conversation. I'm fully present. Mm. And there's a huge joy in that, man. I'm so thankful. Thankful that you guys are teaching me the freaking real solution. And that real solution is it's work. But it's there. It's there to anyone who receives it. And it's not this going to meetings and then living a miserable life and slamming the door on all of your all people around you. <laughs> it's not that. Right. It's an actualized program from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. How can I be of service? Just being a freaking authentic version, one one stop Andrew. Like mm. this is who you're getting. And you don't have to like it. I like myself today. Wow, that's see, and this is what I, I there's a big misconception on what recovery looks like and what spirituality looks like. Like, like yeah. today, you just explained spirituality to me, and that's being authentic and being yourself in any situation and relying on God and not being afraid to tell your family that your belief is a little bit different than theirs. Yeah, but in the in the end, you're trying to access the same power, I believe, and. You know, you bring it into your daily life, you bring it into your work, you bring it into your relationships. To me, this is being spiritual, yeah. you know, and we've had this conversation, Bill, before where, you know, being authentic in every day of your life and, 
And the program cannot just be done in a meeting. The program has to be done, you know, in every aspect of our life for it to actually start to manifest into something that it is, what you're explaining, the, the joy, the compassion, the honesty. This is what we're actually going for. You know, this is the cure for the spiritual malady. And it has to come from the heart. And, and I'll just say this. The, it's not now this level of honesty has allowed me to, I can go to church if I feel called with my family mm -hmm. and honor and respect that culture and actually be there to learn. Mm -hmm. Not with this inferiority complex where I'm dying inside, mm -hmm. right? And I'm open to the God of my understanding, further revealing himself itself into ways that become a robust thing that has multiple forms. Like that's, that's okay for me. I'm not blocked anymore. Mm -hmm. And I used to, what's better, right? What's better for Andrew um, and for all those around me? Me not being honest and doing everything right by the book and then living my evenings in a far different way right. yeah. and, and risking my life mm -hmm. or being honest that this is where I'm at and therefore being open. Well, and you mentioned too that you didn't just call Bill or I about, um, about you know, you're about to drink. It wasn't about that. No. It was like, I'm about to act out in a defective character at work or with my family or with a woman or whatever. Yeah. Like we, we bring up real life stuff so that we can see where it's coming from and deal with it. Uncover, discover, so yeah. we can recover, right? And I mean, Bill has been a you know, he's created this ripple effect because of a guy that, uh, you know, dove into the book, understood the literature. And now like everybody we come in contact with within the program, Bill has touched their lives in some area. And then, you know, what happens, you know, m my wife and I have a better relationship. Your, you and your family have a better relationship. And, um, so when we talk about working with others, I mean, it, it's not just meeting for a coffee, uh, sometimes it is, but it's in, as far as sponsorship, you know, it, it's got to be from the heart and so much more. And, and Bill speaks the truth and he doesn't care if you feel bad about it because the truth is the truth. You never have to justify, rationalize or explain the truth. And I'll just want to put it down to level one step more is that this is not the, Hey, let's be honest podcast or honesty for the sake of honesty. This is a life and death pursuit. Mm -hmm. Like the privilege I have now of being able to call you guys that, hey, something's gone uh, awry in my life and I need some help with this relationship or acting out in lust or whatever it is. I am only afforded that privilege now because I understand clearly that this honest, rigorously honest life is life and death for me. Because if I start to be dishonest, it leads me back to slogging it out, drinking and drugging. Mm -hmm and bringing myself to the hospital or I'd never harmed someone, but it, uh, physically, but the, the list is open again. Now it's, you know, the cards are open for a lot of destruction. Mm -hmm. And because of that experience, I was, I had to go through, this is not just honesty for honesty's sake. It's I live or die by this. And it is absolutely without that. I do die. So when you started doing your step work and you got your step four laid out and you looked at it on your own, um, could you see the patterns like by yourself before you had anyone else look at it? Hundred Well, I couldn't see all of it, but one thing I did see was 
Um, I couldn't explain it, but I did see consistent resentments that I had made that are fancied purely from the reason I could not speak honestly. Okay. So in the step three, you know, we make a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. Um, a lot of people in this program or the program, 12-step programs, will think that they understand what turning your will in your life over the care of God means without doing step four, <laughs> without staying sober even, yeah. right? Come in, admit you're alcoholic, and you can know you're alcoholic, yeah. and you know that something greater than you, you know, needs to be availed to stay sober because you can see that, you know, you can look around and, and kind of get that after a while. But to really understand what it means to turn your will in your life over the care of God, in my opinion, doesn't even you don't even have a real inclination of what that actually means yeah. until you do a step four. Like in the literature, it says, you know, um, we search out the flaws within our makeup that has caused our failure. And being convinced that self has manifested itself in various ways is what had defeated us. Mm-hmm. So failure and defeated us. Both come from me, and basically it's the brokenness and my insecurities and how I will react in life to try to manage and be okay with me, but it's always through a level of dishonesty that we can't really see, right? And I always say, you know, the alcoholic addict is incapable of honesty on his own. (laughs) He will rationalize and justify the most errant bullshit to suit his actions in his life or his inaction. Mm -hmm. The alcoholic life is the only normal one, even in recovery. So you are really impressing upon the listeners that reaching out and, and getting counsel on small things is just as important as the big things. And why I say that is because I've worked with so many guys and like, as they run around the house, throwing matches around the house, (laughs) these are decisions based on self that are causing their failure and they're running around throwing matches around and and by the time the house is on fire usually the sponsor gets the call but it's too late yeah like i really like how you have learned through trial and error you know it's it's about the small things and as you worry about the small things and you make the call you get recentered, um and you're not calling guys that are also on step four yeah. You're not calling guys who are fucking around. No. Right? You're calling guys that are that are trying to do things. And it's not just Tommy and I. You're you're talking to many other people, right? We call them God centered twelve step pillars. Yeah. Because like you said, like you're not capable of that shit on your own. And so, you know, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but let's talk about step six as we start learning some of that shit in the four and the five. And you get humbled. You know, now now rubber meets the road. What does it really mean to fucking turn your will and your life over to care of God? To me, it lies within the humility of step six, entirely willing to turn these things over. And I'm going to finish with this before I let you take over. In the step six in the literature, it says, any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without reservation has indeed come a long way spiritually. And to me, understanding that is where I really grow spiritually. 
understanding where Andrew is going to run the show based out of his insecurity to try to draw some emotional good from somebody else. Yeah. And being aware enough to go, you know what? This is me in my insecurity. And I know that because I feel like shit. And I need to call somebody and get an honest analysis of this situation. Because like you said before, you'll bullshit yourself, right? So how has step six played a role in, in moving forward to where you are today? Well, probably the most humbling avenue is that with uh, relationships with others and, uh, you know, with women and uh, the balance between, you know, what does it mean to truly be there and be a friend opposed to just acting on lust. Um, that was one of the biggest ones in my life and it still is, but there's uh, more is being revealed and progress is being made. Um handing that one over was not something I readily wanted to do because there was a lot of pride tied up in the idea, the fancied idea that I could get anyone I want or, you know, that I, I hold all the keys. I had to follow my ass several times to learn that one. Um, and to really look at, you know, the opposite sex as, hold them up to a level of dignity that is required of a man I want to be right that I cannot do on my own so in the six it says trying to grow in the image and likeness of our own creator and I think that's kind of what you're getting at right you yeah know, as things were revealed in the four and the five and you want to change um you you have to start looking at this area and i'm glad you brought lust up and and sex conduct or sex relation because it's an area that never gets talked about right but in my experience you know um you can put the drink down you can put the drug down but the number one reason most men and i would say women too relapse is because of sex sex relation yeah or relationship issues it's the number one thing which is why it's so important to really listen in the rooms to people that know what they're talking about when they say you can't be in a relationship usually until you're a year in, right? Yeah. And the book even says the primary fact we fail to recognize is our utter inability to form a true partnership with any other human being. Yeah. So Bill's writing, the number one fact that I won't recognize is that, right? So as you kind of go through that, you start treating like, I, I know you and I know what you're about and you're trying to treat women like human beings, right and the subconscious will treat the opposite sex like however it's normally treated her and and if we keep doing what we've always done we're probably going to get drunk and i'll finish with this you know in the roland hazard story in the book it talks about uh, ideas emotions and attitudes that have been the guiding forces of the lives of these men had to be cast aside we had to allow a whole new set of conceptions to dominate us well, one of the biggest drivers of a human being is, is sex relation, companionship, emotional security. Yeah. And if you keep running the way you've always done in that area, you know, that's why people get drunk, right? And, and so I'm really happy that you brought that up. And, uh, and it's not only just in recovery, you know, as you mentioned all the time, Bill and Tommy, like our world has lifted up this has glorified this idea of like sexual mutual use basically. Mm -hmm. And it goes so much. I want so much more than that. Right. As my heart starts expanding and I start figuring out who I am, who I'm capable of being, it's a man of integrity, a man who's not going to freaking, 
you know, skirt around the real conversations and try and look for things out of life through others. It's got to stop. And, and we live in a culture that just glorifies that. It glorifies cutting corners in business too, mm-hmm. with financial endeavors, well, all of these things. Like the only way to that happiness is to true happiness in all of my affairs is practicing honesty. And also sincerely praying that I might be of maximum service and, and that I might look at all people in their proper light as children of the creator period. Like, and it's, and it's a big one, but I'd like to say that there has been, there's, there's things that I have improved on, but it's only scratching the surface. Like true partnership and connection is, is so much greater than, uh, than probably what my mind is capable of understanding right now. Well, I have to say though, I mean, eight months sober, the amount of work and, you know, just willing to, I mean, being a young guy in the program, I mean, you know, uh, I think a lot of guys struggle in the, with lust and around women in that area. And they just think it's no big deal because I mean, we're being programmed that way. I mean, you look around, look, look at social media, look at the media. It's actually provoking, you know, sex, right? And uh, it's kind of being dumbed down. But like, if we're not treating every human being with respect and, you know, compassion, that's, that's really where we want to be. And that's where the program takes us. Not just to treat the people in the program with respect and compassion, but to treat everybody that we come in contact with. You know, there's a, there's a line that says, were we kind and loving toward all? And, that, you know, if you take this literature seriously, every fucking line in that book has, like, a deep meaning to it. Was I kind and loving toward all? I thought that was crazy. Like, this, like I say this all the time, like, this shit's fanatical. Like, how, how far do I have to do? Like, do I have to be some square who doesn't do shit anymore? Well, no, that's not the case. Like, we have fun and we have peace in our life. And by building good character, we're actually welcome in people's lives today, right? And it gets down to how free do you want to be? Uh, I've had a, I have had a sponsor before when I was not even close to getting the solution who full out said, yeah, look at as much porn as you want. If that gets you through and that keeps you sober, that is someone who is looking so linear on just trying to remove one substance in someone's life. This is, we're not talking about that at all. How free do I want to be? I want to be fully free. <laughs> Totally I, I, I certainly wanted to be fully loaded, <laughs> right? Yeah. I wanted to be fully loaded when I was drinking. It was not okay just a little buzz. I need the big buzz. If you think about how much effort we put into getting the next hoot, getting the next fix, getting the next drink, I fucking walked five hours for a crack hoot before my feet were bleeding. Um, you know, like how much effort am I going to put into <clears throat> clearing the channel to God and helping people? If I put that much effort into my recovery as I did into addiction, like I can't fail because that was, that was, that was everything I had into addiction. And I just want to say one thing too, that maybe a listener who can identify maybe with my story more on the people pleasing approach. I think that is something in our rooms that can sometimes be overlooked because you usually got the you got plenty of the tough guys who have a nice colorful backstory of their drunkalogue. Um and then you maybe have the guys who are just as driven by fear, just as near death's door, you know, just as in pain. Um but got really good at pleasing others. 
So their, their life situation doesn't look that bad. It's bad. <laughs> I know that feeling. It was terrible. Could, could not even function. Just wanting to die, right? And if I can go on death's door to that degree because of lack of honesty and not understanding that I suffer from a threefold disease, and if I am not serious and willing enough to actually put constructive action in my life through the guidance of 12-step pillars, you know, I'm doomed to fail. So the, the solution is taking the, a real good look at this text and not on your own, right? I was not able to glean that insight and wisdom from reading the book by myself. I had to go through it with capable sponsors who have done the 12 steps, who are actively sponsoring others. And that is just a gift. It took five years to find that. You know, I, I, I happen to be one of the lucky ones that gets to live a, um, that gets to live a good life now. Um, most people don't get that lucky. Yeah. Um, you'd mentioned something that sparked a memory out of, uh, the doctor's opinion. You know, we work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane. Um, as we look at the literature as being constructive and, and active in our lives, Spiritual to me means God, means inventories, means finding out, you know, my motives and, and why I'm driven. Um, we talk about intention and a lot of people who are of the self-pleasing or, or pleasing others type, mm. they're doing it out of the best of intention, right? People don't want to hurt each other. Um, and people will often even act out in lust with the best of intention. Yeah. And... What I've learned about this program is if you're going to try to live this program with based on intention, you're, you're probably going to get drunk and high because the motive under it is selfish and self-seeking. And after all, selfish self-centeredness is the root of our problem. But if I can't see that and I keep driving my life on the best of intention, wondering why do I keep fighting people? Why, don't, why am I still resentful? Why, am, why is life not treating me right? It's because there's layers to this shit. And understanding motive is far more important than understanding intention. Because my whole life was driven by intention. I didn't want to hurt anybody. Of course. But why did I? Well, because I was selfish and self-seeking underneath. You know, I'm trying to fill that insecurity within myself by making demands upon you. Or by slamming the door so you can get the message of what I'm saying. Or by looking at you with a certain type of look that says, fuck off. Mm. Right? This is all mind and emotional blackmail, which is me trying to manipulate and, and get things that I want. I'm trying to get a reaction out of you. Because I think that the way that I'm going to do this is going to make me happy and satisfied. You know, by telling my boss that this guy's you know, a piece of shit at work, even though he's not, but I, I throw him under the bus so that the boss can look good at me. Mm. And I hope the boss doesn't go tell him that because then I'm going to feel guilt and shame. And if I keep acting this way, I need to drink. Yeah. I need to do drugs. I need to blot that shit out. Right. And, uh, that is not living with my truth. That is living with a delusion that, that, these things from outside of me are going to make me happy. So, yeah. And most people in my life today, like, like my, my brothers and my family, would 10 times out of 10 
take an honest older brother who they actually know what's going on in their, their, his life than a brother who's maybe smiling about all of these things and saying yes to all this, but never shows up, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> like what are we talking about here? Yeah, and I, I say this all the time. Like spirituality is not about smiling all the time and just being nice. No. Right. I mean, we really, we got to clear all the things that are blocking us from that channel to the heart, which is connected to God, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, the more we can live in that area, you know, if that channel is clear, we're going to know. We have this <clears throat> intuitive part of us that tells us right and wrong and what fits and what doesn't and how to be in such certain situations. And like to feel comfortable in my own skin today, like in, in most situations, I mean, I'm in a position of neutrality now, safe and protected, just like it says, you know, if I do these things, but I have to do it on a daily basis and I have to, you know, continue to work at it because life happens. We're human. Shit's going to happen and I got to deal with it. But how do I deal with it today? You know, do I stuff it somewhere so that it manifests into something bigger later? Or do I just talk to somebody, pray and bring it to meditation and look for the answers? And it's all very simple. When I heard that old timer saying, oh, I just keep it simple. I thought nothing's fucking simple, old man. Like, come on, get with it. Yeah, you might be simple, but I'm not. Well, I wasn't. I was very complicated because my mind and alcoholism and addiction, even if I'm not using, my mind takes me to places filled with stories and situations and conversations that aren't even fucking happening and they rule my world. You know, and then I'm resentful or I'm afraid over something that's not fucking happening. Yeah. You know, so how often am I living in fear of the future, which I don't know anything about? You know, I, I really don't know how everything's going to look. But if I stay close to you guys and to the program and to God, then I don't have to worry about it. And all I've ever desired is a sense of connectedness. Mm. I'm not trying to wear a different hat anymore. I'm, uh, you know, the fact that I have you guys are, are mentors to me, but there's also a friendship there. Um, a big part of that is I've now spiritually grown to the level that, yeah, I'm the, I, I can be goofy and nerdy and all of these things, but that's who I am. Mm-hmm. That is Andrew today. Cause that was always Andrew, but I'm not trying to be the tough guy in the room. I'm not tough. <laughs> like I'm not trying to be this, this and that I'm just, I'm just Andrew. And so you get one version, you can like it or hate it, but it is a man who is sincerely trying to become better. Mm. And that's all I want to be, right? Mm. Most days. <laughs> so, you know, some people, it takes a very long time to get to where you're at, Andrew. I'll be honest. Um, it took me, fuck, you know, I was in detox when I was 19. That was my first attempt at recovery. Yeah treatment centers, hospitals, jail, all that shit. But I was always trying to find the solution. And I didn't really find it until about a year and a half ago. So, I mean, it, it takes some people a very long time. And, you know, watching you and the amount of work that you're putting into this and doing exactly what it says to do in the book, not always, we're, we're not perfect. Yeah. But we do strive for protect, uh, perfection today. And, um, you know... Bill's been my guiding light. He's your guiding light. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those guys who dedicated their, themselves to helping others. And, we're, you know, I can't wait to see you do the same, you know. Well, oh, thank you. And 
let's talk about sponsorship and service and you know that 12 step area um like i know you've had some other sponsors in the past um i don't know if you ever relied on 12 step god-centered pillars before um i don't know it doesn't sound like you were rigorously honest ever <laughs> and when we talk about rigorous honesty we mean accurate right mm. Um, so what's the difference in the level of sponsorship and, and pillars that you're using today than maybe what you tried in the past? And what do you, what do you think of being sponsored and what do you look forward to as a sponsor? Well, you guys might, I don't know how this is going to land, but there's a lot of people trying to do good things, but it's, uh, with, truth, without go. real sponsorship, you're screwed, period. Without someone who is actively working the program, you're in big trouble. And that has been my experience. It was why the solution evaded <sighs> me and any sub sober time prior was white knuckling it um, or trying to be the same version or another version of the sponsor at the time. Um, I think I believe in hopefully someone's getting this message and can fire their sponsor if they're not someone who's actually living in the program and doing this thing because they can do a lot more harm than uh, than good. I think I think uh, it's an absolute gift to have a good sponsor. And I, oh, I think this is the, the method of change, right? Like this is if there are not sponsors who are at the level of recovery that can actually influence the rooms um, then we're in trouble but thankfully there are a lot of those people around they just need to be looked at and they're usually the person who's a bit more um a bit more harsh because they're calling out bullshit left right and center um but they're doing it, it you can see in their eyes they're doing it with the sincerity that they've probably seen a lot of people die and uh that's the sponsorship that I have now. 12-step pillars, I didn't have that before. I have that now. I have actual, I don't put my life on pause because I'm outside of a recovery room. These people actually know me and they know about my life and I call them and you know we go try and share some food together, blah, blah, blah. They're in my life. I am no longer able to hide behind a, a veil. So I want this for Tommy. Um, Tommy, this is for you. In the literature... You know, in the rooms, we talk about the fellowship, the fellowship, the fellowship, the fellowship. And in the book, it says, the fellowship you crave will grow up about you. But on the very last page of the big book, on page 164 in that last paragraph, it says, you know, you can join us in the fellowship of the spirit. And here you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Tommy, what's the difference between the fellowship and the fellowship of the Spirit? Bill only writes fellowship of the Spirit once, mm. right? Because I think he doesn't want to be judgmental. <laughs> and I'm not afraid to fucking say it. But, <laughs> you know, what's the difference in your experience? Well, So, I mean, I, I hung out with a lot of people in the fellowship. Now, the only requirement is to, the desire not to want to drink or do drugs. That's it. So you can be part of the fellowship as long as you have a desire not to drink or use drugs. And there's a lot of people fucking around. 
and there's a lot of people talking shit in the meeting that has nothing to do with what we're doing. Um, there's very, there's a small percentage of people actually doing this stuff from what I, from my experience. Um, and the problem with this is if we go into meetings and we don't talk about the solution as it is in the book, as it is in our experience and how we can relate to the book and our experience and how we deal with real life problems and how we can take a step and use it to, you know, deal with it in a spiritual way. So, I mean, go into meetings and you, you hear all this convoluted stuff. Well, some, for somebody who's new coming in, listening to something that has nothing to do with what we're doing, they might die from that. Yeah. And, you know, so what is the difference? Well, the difference is like Andrew explained exactly what he's doing today. And, and that's the program. It, it's not to be taken lightly, but not too seriously. And, you know, but to really in times that matter to really work this shit and to be aware of, you know, really relying on God and not just saying that I rely on God. Because what does it take to rely on God? It takes to, you have to be fucking humble and you have to be honest in most, in any situation. And, you know, the guys that reach out for help and the guys that are on the other end of the phone that are there to help no matter what time of the day it is. You know, this is the fellowship of the spirit. The guys that are really working it and, and they're bringing it into their family and they're using it with their relationships and they're using it at work. And they're being authentic with the people around them, you know, like guys like Andrew, he, who brought his con concept of God to his religious family. That takes a lot of balls. That's not an easy task not to hide from that. But he did it because he knew his life depended on it. Mm -hmm. And that in order to grow spiritually, he had to do that. You know, and then there's the guys that are fucking dating newcomers and they're two years sober, you know, and they're, you know, putting people's lives on the line. So there's a big, there's a variety of people that, you know, that are really doing it. And then there's a, there's, there's a lot of people that say they're doing it and, uh, you know, God bless them. But, you know, when people, uh, when people's lives are on the line, like that's the part we have to take seriously, you know, like life should be fun. Should be, we should have joy and laugh and fuck around and just be guys and whatever. But when there's somebody's life on the line, like, it's not something to be taken lightly. I just like to say, I tip my hat to anyone trying to develop sobriety in their life who's struggling. And the simple reality about life is there are some people in recovery rooms that just don't need as much of this solution. And um, that can go to meetings and kind of putts around and might not even be alcoholic. You know, maybe they... They had a couple uh, rough weekends or they're having a difficult time in their relationships. And I hope they can glean, you know, knowledge and power as much as the next person. But I care far more that a pure solution is available, readily available to people like me, the real deal alcoholic that needs the full solution or else they're screwed. And that's what this you guys do in this podcast like that's what you're talking about you're talking about a solution of power that is sufficient to live a sober and happy life requires rigorous honesty you know and 
by doing that, you know, you guys are, there's a lot of change happening in the air and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I ask myself and I ask sponsees and I see it all the time. Like, you know, why are, why are you in recovery? Are you here for the right reasons? Have you been beaten into a state of reasonableness? Are you here because you're losing your family or are you here because you're losing your job? Are you here just because you wanted to check it out? Are you here because there's some, some women in the rooms? Like, why are you actually here? Because Andrew brings up a good point. The, the program, the, the book, and the directions are designed for the real deal alcoholic addict. And if you're not the real deal alcoholic addict and you only need a meeting a month and you don't even need to work the steps and the fellowship is keeping you sober, great on you. But that message from that person to the real deal alcoholic who really doesn't want to do this stuff, it seems like pretty drastic stuff, especially somebody new. He's going to take the easiest road, right? And he's going to want to do what this guy's doing, you know, and, and it just doesn't work. You know, I have a big thing about the birthday boards. We see lots of people get a year or two years, maybe two years, lots of years. But where is the three years and the four years and the five years? It's not there because we're focused on a substance. We're focused on, on to me, and respect, you know, all due respect to the substance and the reason why we got here. But I think us as a fellowship and we got to focus on the spiritual malady, mm. you know, because I'm the actual problem. The drugs and the alcohol, like the book says, are but a symptom. You know, the bottles are a symptom. And me as a message carrier, you two as message carriers, coming from a lineage from my sponsor, who's a big book guy. And I know my sponsor sponsor is a big book guy. And the big, the big book has the solution for my life. I always like to say, you know, I was born without something. And I remember going to churches probably two to three years before I got in here and I would go to church and I hated church and I hated whatever church was. I, I didn't like it, but I got to a point where I was like, fuck, I'm ready to go try this stuff. And I remember my ex-wife now, but my wife at the time said, what are you doing? Why are you going to church? You hate it. And I, and I didn't know what to tell her. And I went, and then I finally came to the program because I had lost everything. I'd lost my business, I'd lost that family, I'd lost my own self-respect, and I finally came crawling under the door. I remember sitting in the room about a month or two or three months in, can't really remember, it's pretty foggy, but I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. This is that piece that I was seemingly born without. This is where I'm going to find it, I know it, and I just had that feeling. And then as I kind of started doing the work and, um, you know, eventually... You know, enough pain through defect of character. I used to treat my spiritual malady with drugs and alcohol. And then I was treating it with defect of character. And then finally, I had to start treating it with this power. Yeah. And now this program at first was a life sentence. And I was like chained to have to do this. <laughs> now it's like I get to do it. Mm, yeah. Right. So, you know, I, ju- I just love the fact that, like Tommy said, Andrew, you know, you've grown quickly in a short period of time. And, uh, you know, good on you. And 
but it doesn't let up, right? This no. is this is fucking the beginning of a lifetime job. This continues for our lifetime. We continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we talk to someone immediately. We ask God for help. Like we're all talking out of the book. I'm talking out of the book right now. Why? Because it's the directions and, and you're learning that and you've learned a lot of it and it shows in your demeanor. It shows in your vibration and you're not the same guy that I met fucking like about a year ago. Yeah. You're a different man standing in front of me and, and Tommy's the same and I'm the same, right? So, yeah, I don't know, man. And, uh, you know, ask anyone close to me or around me, those I engage with every day, um, just to preface this, like they know full well <laughs> if I'm on the beam or not, right? This is not a, you know, yes, I'm very, I'm so thankful and we'll, I will have a debt I can never repay. Um, I can repay a small portion in service to others. But this is a lifelong deal. And look at any any person living a truly God-centered life who is living it, not just speaking about it. I'd say they'd say the same thing. It's uh, They know when they're when they're tapped out and they're not right. And, and it takes a, takes a village to, <laughs> to raise a crazy alcoholic, but yeah. Sure. And I think that, um, you know, I think I, in my opinion, it's easier to spot an alcoholic when they're sober because you can see the restless, irritable discontent all over their face. <laughs> and, you know, so this is what we're combating. You know, we're trying to be free of, the restless, irritable, and discontent as sober guys, you know, today. And, you know, that's a spiritual malady. I mean, you know, I just, this, this is what we're really after. And this is how we get long, longevity in this program. Yeah, and I'd just like to thank uh, both of you, like Tommy, for, you've been a, a real friend to me and a good mentor. And uh, having people in the rooms that are willing to care less about your feelings and more about your life is a huge thing. And Bill, for taking the time, um, you sponsor lots of guys. Um, every single time I was willing to do the work and still to this day that I'm willing to do the work, you show up and you're a hundred percent present and thank you for your service. Um, it's important and it's now given me, um, it's given me a goal for how I'm going to lead the rest of my life and what is called upon me now to give in service. Um, we continue doing all of this together and those who are listening who are also doing the same thing. And uh, the service, the servitude of one person can, can change hundreds of people's lives. And it is an exciting thing. We get to do this, mm, right? That's right? So thank yeah. you. Yeah, dude. And, you know, and before we wind up, I want to touch base on your business. I know you and I talked months and months ago, and I remember the day, and I said, I said, if you can base your company around God, I said, you work for God and the people, and the people and God will start working for you, and it's a spiritual law. And you've kind of implemented a lot of that. You've now done it for a number of months, and you know, can you maybe describe to maybe some of our entrepreneurs that the world of business is such a forceful thing. 
mm. you know, manipulating and, and, you know, white lies and not telling this person and trying to force and grab and snatch and take so that you can be successful in whatever <laughs> the version of success that is. It's not really success to me today, but it was years ago when I had my own business. How did the old style of running your business feel compared to and explain what you're doing today and how, how things are going? Sure. So the old way was a lot of showboating and, um, you know, still doing a lot of work, but doing it with the intent of purely profit or, um, status. And, uh, it just doesn't last man. And people can see right through it. And it, it is sad that there is a lot of, um, people who look at capitalist, uh, ideology and they take the expedient approach. And I now can see that in my own life when I do do that. And I can see businesses that are purely run on that. Just how big and how great can we get? And let's just sing our own praises. And uh, if a subcontractor or a client needs to get thrown under the bus in, in, uh, to seek that objective, then so be it. And uh, I, I run that way, I drink. So I can't do that anymore. Um, I have a long way to go, but definitely our business has now reflected core values that I'm absolutely psyched about. And that is a group of super talented, creative individuals that practice rigorous honesty in their work. There's no such thing truly as a failure at my company. Um, there is only the, uh, the, f the fear of sharing that weakness because I'm weak all the time. And, uh, they can see that and it's even more beautiful if I can actually say that and say, Hey guys, I did mess up about this stuff and you can tell I've been on edge and I apologize. Um, and I actually don't know the way forward, but I'm trying to navigate it and, and I'm going to get quiet about it. And the guys I work with are absolute giants. They're amazing. They have totally been living this way. Um, maybe without putting a face on it, They've been living this way far before I got, got realm of the solution. They're excellent individuals and super talented. And uh, now that it's become more of a hundred percent, like our culture of living in honesty and trying to do the absolute best for people, but also getting a fair shake that, Hey, this is a business. We don't work for free. We need to put food on the table and we have endeavors we want to pursue. Um, seeing that has been amazing an absolute gift. And as long as God, uh, gives me this company to run, I will, I will do that. And, um, I'll just say I've had a couple client calls of prospective people looking at working with us and, you know, given the classic, you know, we can afford you all this opportunity and, you know, looking for a deal and this, this, and that I'm happy to give a deal if it makes sense and it's peaceful on my heart, but you just watch the tension evaporate and almost some of them not be interested in us when you you sincerely talk to them at the end of the call is like listen man i only want this work if it's uh um if it's meant to be and uh, we want to be of service but we want to run a fair mutual uh, mutually beneficial relationship and uh thanks for your time and thanks for the call they almost don't even know what to say after that because that's so not the normal of this expedient tech focused industry but you know i'm not gonna run that way anymore i can't I cease being effective if I, uh, if I start running that way. And guess what? Every single month, payroll has been cleared. A little bit of money for some savings. Some hard lessons I've had to learn, but then also some really rewarding lessons. And I'm in this for the long haul. 
I really see the work I do in the creative field as a vocation and the vocation starts to make sense when across the board you're trying to be honest and you're not gouging people and uh, you're trying to live a company based out of servitude. And uh, thankfully, I do have the leaders that I get to partner with who are in my company, uh, two amazing men who uh, get to walk this journey with me. And it's, a, it's an absolute treat. So it does work. And these principles are all around us. Um, I think you see success uh, around companies and uh, based on that. Because there's the expedient way up the mountaintop, and it involves a lot of slashing and a lot of enemies. And there is the slow, gradual way up the mountaintop. And you actually get to the summit and you realize that there's, there's good ground beneath you. And that's the company I want to run. Imagine that getting to the top and everybody still likes you. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> anyway, Andrew, awesome dude. I just love what you do. And um, I'm so glad that you're having the success that you're having. Oh, uh, spiritually, emotionally, within your family, you know, all that stuff. It's just really awesome to see. And just thanks for coming on short notice and, and doing what you do, man. Yeah.